0: From last week, just to kind of uh, bring us up to speed because we're we're trying to build on it. From last week, we were talking about rest and and the need for a Sabbath and how it was commanded and and what are the reasons for that. We we left with some takeaways that I want to kind of remind us of. And and one of the first ones was that that we are advised to not let our hearts get hardened through all the micro-decisions that we make on a daily basis that will lead us to sin. We said that every day there is just, there's just there's just an innumerable amount of little micro decisions that we make that will either lead us closer to God or farther from him. And the hardening of our hearts will cause those micro decisions to more times than not lead toward moving away from God because we're not in a place with our heart's where we are hearing from God. And and I think when we have that image of hardening our hearts, we go to the far extreme of someone who says, there is no God, I refuse to believe in him, Um, I refuse to follow him. But you only have to have a little bit of a blockage in your heart to do serious damage. You only have to have a little bit of hardening of your heart to cause great harm. So I think sometimes we, we think, well, my heart's not hardened, but is that true? I mean, as we examine, are we in those micro decisions we make to respond or to react or to judge, are we hardening our hearts? So we said last week that we need to stay awake to reality to not daydream ourselves into sin. And I think I gave the illustration of no one gets in the car and gets it going and heads off on the road and says, I think I'll take a nap. Nobody does that. Has anybody ever done that? Has anyone ever got in the car and purposely said, I'm going to take a nap? Don't raise your hands if you have, because that's goofy. Um, But let me ask you this. Has anybody ever gotten in the car to go somewhere and nodded off at the wheel? And what we do is we don't, we don't purposely, we don't make that decision and say, hey, I think it's a good stretch of highway. I think I'm gonna keep going 65 miles an hour and I'm gonna nod off for a little bit. Nobody says that. But what we do is we start to daydream and we let our defenses down and we start thinking about this, that, and the other. You get comfortable and next thing you know, your, your wife's hitting you in the back of the head and you're, you're being yelled at violently and you don't know why because you were asleep and you wake up. But nobody does that to start off with. And that's how we do that with sin. Nobody wakes up. I mean, I hope not. I hope nobody does this. No wakes up first thing out of bed is, today I'm going to do totally destructive things that go against what God has for me in my life because I don't care what it does to me or the people around me. I, I really hope nobody does that. And yet we do. And I think it's because we are not awake to reality because sin Makes what is wrong seem right, so we can't daydream ourselves into that place. We have to stay awake to reality. Then the other thing we looked at is we need to read Scripture to follow Jesus, not prove our point or win our argument or anything like that, but to follow Him. When we open our books, and that's what I will encourage you to do today, whether it's on your your tablet, I know it's going to be up on the screen, but I, there is something about holding God's Word in your hand. And being connected to it. And when you do that, you need to read first and foremost before you even start. Tell yourself, I am doing this to bring me to Jesus. I am reading this scripture to follow him. And then for that community, talk to others about what you read. Share life, struggles, good times and bads with others. And in doing that, it brings us to the third point that we had from last week, is that that lets us cultivate authentic spiritual friendships, where we encourage one another, and where we hold each other accountable. And that all sounds pretty easy, and that's great stuff to write down when you're preaching, because it's like, no one's really going to disagree with any of that, are they? I mean, I, I, I have umbrage with that. I don't even know if umbrage is the word I need to use. Sounded cool, uh, but... You know, I have an issue with that, John. No one's going to say that. Those three things I said, no one's going to say, I don't know if I agree with that. But as easy as it sounds, it isn't easy. It isn't easy because those are the things that lead us to rest, and the enemy doesn't want us to rest, and rest needs a place of refuge, Rest. Needs to happen and will happen when we find that place that we are safe and we are secure. Our scripture today is from Psalm 46, and we're going to start with the first seven verses. God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy places where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, amen? Kingdoms fall, amen? But God, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, when we talk about the Sabbath, many people think that the Sabbath is all about not working. I mean, that's where we came up with all the uh, the laws, the Old Testament laws about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath, and it all went around work or activity, and that's not totally off. But last weekend, we learned that freedom isn't necessarily rest, and we saw how the Jewish people held captive in slavery in Egypt were released and freed to the wilderness where they were free. They were no longer slaves, and they were free. But they wandered for 40 years because they weren't obedient. Even in their freedoms, they didn't have rest. And the rest happened in that place that God was taking them called the promised land. And the promised land is what we're aiming for. And the promised land is when we're not struggling for God's approval anymore. That we're not thinking that there's more that we have to do, that we have to be better, we have to know more scripture. This that We're not performance-basing that. We just enter into this place not struggling for God's approval because we realize that God loves us and we're obeying him and following him and then we enter rest. But we looked at last week how it's not a rest that is just void of of any kind of action or activity, we looked at Jesus' words in Matthew's gospel which said, take my yoke upon you. It didn't say take a nap with me. It said take a yoke, there's work to be do, and you will get rest. So this rest that we enter into, there is a purposeful work that is going on and needs to be done. It's just that we're not struggling and working for God's approval anymore. We're realizing that God wants to work with us and in us and through us. And that's where we find rest. But more than that, the Sabbath is when the core of who I am can reflect on the fact that there is a God. When at the very core of who I am, I can reflect on the fact and look at the fact that there is a God and it's not me. And in every moment that we're in that place, we can reflect on the goodness of God and the depth of his unlimited grace and the width of his unending love for us. And that was the most preachier thing I've said and written in a long time. It sounds good and nobody's gonna disagree with that. But how do we get to that place or that rest, and you're saying like, well, I never think that I'm God. I never act that way. I always give God his due. What are you getting at? I'm getting at this. I need a day, I need a time to refocus because some days I drift in my faith. I forget about the beauty of God's grace and I revert back to trying to earn my salvation or his favor by my actions. Have I been good enough? Have I been Christian enough? Some days, I substitute Christ with furious activity and service. Busy work. One thing that I was sharing at Greensburg that you may or may not know about me. I think I have obsessive compulsive disorder to a degree. Uh, we have been late to so many things as a family because dad's in the back room because the remote is stuck on the TV and it has to be fixed. Like, this is the single most important thing. Nothing will function or go well. The rest of the day, if I don't get the remote working, am I alone in this? Okay, that's fine. I mean, but uh, yeah, and the Kim and the girls will be in the car, and where's dad? Dad's babysitting his OCD, he'll be out in a minute or an hour or not at all. You know, I do that, but you know what that is in me it's this feeling like a need that I need to control something that I need to fix. Something that I have to work to, to prove my, you know, your worth or your value. So some days I substitute Christ and the peace of Christ with furious activity and service, busy work. But when I'm at my best, I do not do that on the Sabbath. When I'm at my best and, and when I'm, I'm focused and trusting God. On the Sabbath, I'm reminded that my main job, my only job, is to simply remain connected to Christ. That's it. If we want to fulfill his great commission where he says, go and make disciples of all the world, the only way that we do that is by first and foremost being connected to him ourselves. And when I get to that place on a Sabbath where there is rest, I'm reminded that my main job, my only job, is to simply remain connected to Christ. To abide in the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. But right now, we don't rest. Even with knowing that, we're worried about politics. Or we're worried about pandemics. Or we're worried about end times. Or we're worried about culture. and we, We're worried, and, and that worry causes us to not rest. And that is why rest is so hard to come by for us, because we worry. Now, worry is a natural thing. It's the not capturing worrying and putting it under God's... Domain, that's when it becomes problematic. That's when worry becomes sin. And worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. When I worry, I'm telling God by my actions and my attitude that I don't trust Him. And our faith grows as we rest in Him. And God wants us to trust him because our faith expands as worry shrinks. Now, I don't think I can tell you that you're to never worry. I think that there are times it pops up, but then, like I said, we capture it. It's when worry hangs around that, that damage starts to get done to us and those around us because I honestly... Here's where I'm at. I don't, think it's, I, don't, I don't think it's beyond the devil to use huge, foul, sulfur-smelling demons that are snarling with, you know, weapons and scary like we see in the movies. I don't think that's beyond him. I just don't think he does it that often because he, he doesn't want to work that hard because all he has to do is get us to worry, Right? Just get us to question. And and when he does that, and that worry that will come up as we face uncertainties, but if left unchecked, that worry is then manipulated by the enemy, and it makes us play what I'm going to call the what-if game. And there are rules to the what-if game. Here they are, the first rule of the what-if game that we are forced to play because we worry. Rule number one, you're only allowed to think of worst-case scenarios. Anybody know anybody like that, worst-case scenarios? Like, I love my mom. Don't. This is going to be recorded, and she may listen to it. I love my mom. I do. But my mom, God bless her, has to be the most pessimistic person I know. Like, Here's the thing. Like, I can't find my cat. I probably got hit by a truck. Mom, where did, why did we go there all of a sudden? You know? Say, you know, my mom was a nurse. All those years growing up, school nurse, I come in with a cut. You you didn't clean that cut out? It's going to get infected. We're going to have to cut your arm off. Mom! I'm six. You don't say that. But this is what worry does to us. And if we're honest, we can say that we've been there. Worry makes us get to the point where we're only allowed to think of worst-case scenarios. You think about the worst case scenarios anymore. Where is there room for the hope of Christ? There isn't. Rule number two when you play the what if game of worry, you are never allowed to win the game. You can only lose. You start playing the what ifs, they don't stop. What if this doesn't happen? Oh, it happened. Well, what if it doesn't last? Oh, it's lasting. Well, what if there's something more? See what I'm saying? Then we worry because we're not trusting. God, here's the third rule: The more you play, the what-if game of worry, the greater your losses. And like we said, worry is integral to Satan's plan, because when we worry, we press harder. We work faster, we work more furiously, we work more. Or we isolate ourselves from each other and from God, or we just simply ignore God and what he's told us and taught us and and had us to do. And that is why we have to capture worry when it first pops up and go to that refuge, which is God, and the promises that he has given us through Jesus Christ, and find rest. We must replace fearful, worrisome thoughts with simple reminders of God's grace and the promises that he has kept. Because we all have those. We all have the uncertainty of what lies ahead. And that's going to cause us to worry. And we fret that. But we also have the proof of the promises of God. When we look back, and when we allow ourselves to enter into a time of Sabbath, when we come into the presence of God, knowing that we are not God, and that he is who he says he is, we can see that. Because Sabbath rest equips us to take our minds off the what-ifs of worry, if only for a little bit. Let's move on with our scriptures, verses 8 through 11. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord God Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now that verse right there, that phrase in the middle of that verse, be still and know that I am God, is familiar to a lot of people. Maybe to all of you in here. Maybe you've got it on a coffee mug or, or, or a bumper sticker or something. And, you, you get that. and it's, it's important because it's, it's powerful. Because that be still and know that I am God is an invitation to experience God. We talked about the words of God and Christ in that song we sang this morning and we talked about communion where Christ welcomes us to this table. It's an invitation to experience the rest. You don't have to fix this meal. You're not doing anything that's gonna provide the answers to this. It's already been done. You're just invited to it. To be still and know that I am God is an invitation to experience God. To be still and know means the admitting that we're not God. And we are accepting that there are things that are outside of my control. Things I can't do. Things I can't handle. And that is hard. It's hard for me. Because I want to fix things. I want to make things right. I, I want to I know that I can like Swoop in and help somebody suffer. My oldest daughter is a thousand miles at any given time away from me, and she will text. This is how I know that this is my issue. She will text me, and she'll tell me of a situation. I won't go into details, but it had to do with, with a guy, and, and I don't like him. Um, but like she texts me the details, and this was my response, a thousand miles a day. What do you want me to do about it? Like, I was gonna get on my horse with guns blazing and my hat cocked sideways and ride into West Texas and go, ah, I'm here to kick butt and chew gum and I'm all out of gum. Who's next? You know, I, I wanna fix it. And I feel helpless. I beat myself up and I can't. And then you know what I do? I worry. I worry. I worry because I forget a couple things. I worry that I'm not God and God is in control and God loves her more than I ever could. And two, I remembered that I did show her how to make a fist and throw a punch. We're all right. But I want I to want control. I want to fix. And when I can't, I worry about what I can't fix. Here's the other thing is we've been told to... To not have it all together is a sign of weakness. Big boys don't cry. Whatever you want to, you know, for the girls. There's no crying in baseball. Whatever, Whatever it is you need to hear. But we've been told that not having it all together is a sign of weakness. But some have even been led to believe that not having it all together is somehow a lack of faith or a weak faith. Unfortunately, that's usually carried out by people in our, our church home, our family. Oh, you're going through that? Sorry about your, your little faith, your lack of faith. Please don't do that. You don't know. Nobody in here knows what everyone else's battle is and what they're carrying. Here's the other thing we don't know. We do not know the, the magnitude and depth of someone's faith. I don't have a whole lot of fights left in me, but this is one of the ones I'm willing to throw hands on. It is okay to not be okay. It is okay to have doubts. That's why you need to cultivate that that authentic spiritual relationship with others so they can lift you up. The Old Testament tells the story of Moses. In the middle of a great battle, when he would raise his hands, God would give the power and and Israel would win the battle. But guess what? Moses got tired. And as he got tired, his hands would fall. And when his hands fall, then the tide of the battle shifted and they started getting beat. So Moses's friends, Aaron and Ur, came alongside Moses. And when they saw his hands go down like this, they raised them up and held them up. Sometimes you're Moses. Sometimes you're Aaron. This is why we need this, this authentic spiritual community that holds us accountable and loves and encourages us. We've been told that that weakness or that, you know, and, and that, that affects us. Look, I don't have it all together. And there are times where I let worry consume me, and there are times when I play the what-if game. And if that disqualifies me from ministry, then it disqualifies me. But it's true. But in those times, don't you dare think that it's because my faith is weak. It's because my faith just isn't picked up and put on. It's like I leave it because I'm like, I got this. God, you sit this one out. I got this. I'm going to John Wayne my way through this. And I don't pick up that faith. And I'm banking on the fact that maybe somebody here has felt that same way a time or two. We know we aren't in control, but we're content to live with the idea that we might be. So we fake it. To be still and know means we have to stop and slow down. Okay, at what point did you go, I think he lost his place? At what point did it start to feel just a little uncomfortable? I didn't even take it as long as I wanted to. But at what point did you're like, is, is he okay? I'll see what I did there. I meant to do it, right? I said, be still and no, and then what was I? Still. Were you okay with that? Breathe in. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. He knows what you're worried about. He knows what you're apprehensive about. He knows what's keeping you from resting. To be still. And no means that we have to stop and slow down. You don't know why we don't enter the rest that we need? Because no one's ever going to tell you, I don't need any rest. You're always going to hear, I need more rest. I'm tired. You know why we don't get the rest that we need? It's just my opinion, but I think we don't get the rest that we need because we don't want to rest. We don't want to. We're scared that if we slow down. We'll lose step or we'll lose an opportunity. or We we stay busy so that we don't have to face what is broken and what hurts. The word of God says that we're two or more gathered in his name, there he is also. So he is here. Now, his Holy Spirit has been left to us. Third part of the Trinity. If we would stay here quiet long enough, he would start to speak to you. He would start to, that Holy Spirit would would peel. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what I don't want the people in the room next to me to see or deal with. Nobody likes that. But when we are still enough to be in the presence of a God that we know we are not, and we let him speak to us, he'll begin to say, I know you're upset about I know you're worried about this. It starts to judge up the stuff that we don't want anybody else to know. That's why rest is so important. Because if we stay busy, we don't have to face what's not working because we just work harder. Being still often means facing our own sin. But the beauty of being still means that it gives God the opportunity to speak to us. Psalm 46 tells us to know that he is God, not he is our feelings, because our feelings are misleading. They're real but they're misleading because feelings are fleeting and they're easy to dismiss, but knowing goes beyond feelings. So you ask yourself, what do I know about God? What do I see in his creation? our world. What does that say about God? How have I seen God be faithful in my life? How, I ha- how have I seen God redeem things in my life? That takes reflection and stillness and quiet and rest. And I love this, this is this part, that be still and know that I am God. I'm going to go out on limb and say most every one of you in here, when I read it, recognized it some way. And like I said, it's on your coffee mugs or your bumper stickers or your greeting cards or whatever. Some of you may have even inked it on your your arms. That's, that's awesome. That's cool. But did you read what it says next? Because we're in a place now, we're just tired all the time and there is no rest because we've got the politics that's falling apart and pandemics that's falling apart and anti-vax and vax and this that and the other red states, blue states, all these things. And there's, and there's, you know, this lifestyle out here, and this lifestyle out here, everything is tearing down God's creation. And I've got to get up and get in arms about it. And I've got to, Dah, I gotta fight. I gotta do this, right? I gotta something's gotta be fixed in this. And that is Satan saying, yeah, keep thinking you gotta make it all right. Because look what he says after he says, be still and know that I'm God. See, I don't know for how many years I've said, there's never been a moment in my life where God looks down and goes, huh, I didn't see that coming. I don't know what I'm gonna do now. There's never been. He's God. But I act that way. And there never been a moment where the end was going to be in doubt. Look at how he ends this: "Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But it doesn't look like you're winning now, and it's so busy and so ugly out there. Shh. I will be." I will be. Because I am, I am, I will be exalted. It's not that the battle's in a losing state and God's up there with whoever has around his cabinet sitting around the table, going, what do you think we ought to do now? Anybody got any ideas? How should we approach this? There's never a moment where God asks for anybody else's opinion. He asked for their witness to trust and follow him. So in the midst of all this, in the midst of the chaos that David was speaking of here, nations crumbling, kingdoms falling, worry and stress all over the place, God's instruction to us was, be still. Shh. Be still and know that I'm God. And I love that. So what does that say about God when we, when we see all these things? How are we asking? How do we look back and go, why would I doubt that you're not gonna be with me now if you were with me then? What's changed in you, God? Well, if you look at his word, it says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so nothing. He's faithful. And what happens when we are able to enter this Sabbath rest is it has a trickle down effect that filters down and through the other six days of our week when we have those moments. And you'll find it, you'll get these little mini Sabbaths that surprise you in the midst of all the chaos and the dysfunction that we're walking through. And it puts us in the place to ask what if something great happens about this? Not what if something's wrong. What if something miraculous happens here? I'll give you some takeaways, and then I'm done. Here's the first one. If we trust God, we take a break. He commanded it. It's I can't get any more simple than that. He commanded it. It's in the Ten Commandments. I think we went over that. It's not really an option. He commanded it. If we trust in God, we take a break. If we really believe our lives will fall apart, if we stop rest and listen, if we be still and know, then guess what? We have no trust in God. The quickest way to burn out is believing that in this season, in this moment, this stretch of time, that we're too busy to take a break. My wife, who is so much smarter than I am, gave me this example. It's like, when you're in an aircraft, and in the airplane and things aren't going well and the oxygen dr- mask drop, what are you instructed to do? Put on your mask first. It's the same with rest. I know some of you are in situations where you're the caretakers, or you're, you're the providers, and, and I get it, but there has to be a moment where you step back and recharge, and refocus, and rest. Take a break. You're never too busy to take a break. Here's the other one. We need to detox from the urgent. Urgent is exciting. Urgent emits a sense of importance. We've got to get this done. Let's do this now. All urgent things are important. I get that. But not all important things are urgent. Because if everything is urgent, then nothing is. And what the Sabbath allows us to do is to see time in our lives through the lens of eternity and God's provision. And it lets us recalibrate what matters most and re energizes us to care for it the way we are supposed to. I have no doubt in my mind that you love me. But if I'm not here Sunday, you. You tell me that my time at Milan is up. I have no doubt that there'll be someone that stands in the pulpit next Sunday and preaches. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just telling you, that there's nobody in a job right now. Yeah, out delivering mail. They tell you, you're not delivering mail anymore. Doesn't mean there's a stack of mail over here that's not getting delivered. You know what? Somebody else is driving the route. So don't kill yourself for something that would replace you so easy. I'm not telling you to not take it seriously or to take it for granted. I'm just saying that there are things that matter to you that you need to be having attentive to. Detox from the urgent. Here's the other one. This goes along with that. We are more than what we produce. If we live in a performance result-oriented culture, it'll never be enough. It'll never, you'll never be good enough. You'll never have gone to enough Bible studies. You'll never have done enough of this. You'll never done, There'll always be something more. You can't rest. Always have to do more. Rest in God. See how God is growing you as a person. God is achieving more in you than through you. It's something to realize. We, we base it on what he, he does through us, but the real value is what is God doing in you? And when we rest in him, we realize We're more loved by God for who we are than what we achieve for his kingdom. Because he doesn't love us anymore when we achieve things for his kingdom. He loves us now as much as he's going to, more than we'll ever realize. And here's the one that I've got to realize, all right? If God wants something done, if God wants to achieve something, it will get done I'm arrogant to think that my timeline is the same as God's, and what Sabbath rest helps us to realize is that God's timing is perfect. Sometimes we're just too busy to see that. We will always be tempted to think that it depends all on us, but it doesn't. It depends on God, and we need to depend on him. God is always near and available. Our God is greater. We sing that. Sometimes we need to remember that. He invites us to rest and to be restored in his presence. And because he knows better than we do, he made it a commandment. Be still. Know. And rest. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that where my words were awkward and not all that were needed, I want to apologize for thinking that I was supposed to be that. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks to us. And I pray that it's done that. I pray that in quiet times, that we don't play the what-if game. We sit in the presence of I am and reflect and find peace and rest. Lord, help us to be still and know that you are God. Thank you for allowing us to be partners in the work that you are doing in your creation. Thank you for loving us the way you do. In the name we pray, amen.